Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. There have been three presidential impeachments throughout our history, nine presidents that did not finish their terms. Richard Milhouse Nixon remains the only U.S. president to actually step down from his post. Nixon once said, I'll be okay. The tougher it gets, the colder or the cooler that I get. He had an opportunity uh, to get as cool as possible with the Watergate scandal, and then it was all over. As we conclude this first chapter of Acts, we will discuss the implications of what good spiritual leadership is supposed to look like. And with that, what poor spiritual leadership looks like. I think, unfortunately, if you're on social media enough, if you're paying attention to the news, if you hear stories from friends that go to other churches, unfortunately, too often we hear examples of poor leadership, but we don't necessarily see a lot of times what good leadership looks like or hear it explained as to what good leadership looks like. In fact, a lot of people who say today they do not go to church will cite leadership that they felt, in their opinion, was poor. So as we're looking at this this series, Unstoppable Church, as we're in part two, and we're talking about the importance of these kinds of things, one of the things that we want to look at very, very early is what good leadership is supposed to look like. So you might ask the question, what does good spiritual leadership look like? If we were going to give an example of what good spiritual leadership looked like, What are some of the characteristics? What are some of the qualities? Because the first thing that we often want to do is compare this to the business world or a leadership book. What is it that good spiritual leadership is supposed to look like? So we're still in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to finish in Acts. We're going to look at verses 15 through 26. Again, a lot of times we're pretty much going to go verse by verse. There'll be some areas where we skip over just a little bit. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 26. So what's going on here? If you were here last week, if you were not here last week, you can always catch up on the podcast. But what's going on here is that the early believers, the apostles and some others, have went up to the upper room to pray after the ascension of Jesus. And that's what we did last week as as a church. We prayed together. So the question becomes, what's next? As we go back down into the real world and into real life, What is next for this thing that we're starting to call the church? The first thing they have on the docket is a very difficult decision that they have to make. So this is what the passage says. During this time, the family of believers was a company of about 120 
persons. Interestingly enough, this is around what we've been seeing on Sunday mornings. Peter stood among them and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture that the Holy Spirit announced beforehand through David had to be fulfilled. This was the scripture concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. This happens even though he was one that shared in the ministry. In fact, he bought a field with the payment that he received. The payment was for his betrayal of Jesus. He bought a field with the payment that he had received for his injustice. Falling head first, he burst open in the middle and all of his intestines spilled out. This became known to everyone living in Jerusalem. So they called the field in their own language, Hakeldama, or field of blood is what that translates to. It is written in the Psalm scroll, and this is where he's talking about what David said. Let his home become deserted and let there be no one living in it and give his position of leadership to someone else or give his position of leadership to another. Therefore, we must select one of those who've accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus was among us. So what they're doing right now, the decision that they are making is how do we go about replacing poor leadership? How is it that we go about re replacing Judas Iscariot? Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when Jesus was taken from us. This person must become, along with us, a witness to his resurrection. So they nominated two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's deepest thoughts and desires. Show us clearly which one of the two would be chosen among you to take the place of the ministry of the apostleship from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. When they cast lots, which was a very common thing to do during this century, during this period of time, the lot fell on Matthias. He was added to the 11 apostles. So in the place of Judas, you have stepping in this individual by the name of Matthias. Notice that Peter, if you were paying attention to the close of 15, 16, 17, around in there, Peter is the one that is leading this conversation. Peter, along with John, is going to be the primary speaker early on to lead these conversations. Now, this is really amazing, and this is really encouraging considering Peter's mistakes. If Peter walked into this church, or most North American churches, and we were trying to determine leadership, I can promise you, by the smell of a fisherman, by the fact that he's uneducated, by the fact that he has a certain way that he goes about things, Peter would have never been chosen by any of us. Peter would have been completely overlooked. And also, for, for some of you, because I have to be completely honest, and I was talking as we were praying this morning, I carried just a little bit of shame in with me today. A little bit of struggle from this week, in particular, just the last couple days that have felt very, very hard. Keep in mind that this Peter, not long before this, like just shortly before this, before Jesus is cru crucified, 
denies Jesus three times. Same man, same individual that is going as far as saying, I did not know this man three times is now leading. That is good news. That is good news for every single person that's in here right now that walked in here right now with a certain level of shame over their shoulders. You know, there's a lot of denominations out there that, you, that will tell you, you can't lead because of X, Y, and Z. But you see, what Peter does, or what Jesus does looking at Peter, is he sees this great mistake that is greater than many of the mistakes that we will ever make, and he says, you are going to be a leader. So Peter's going to be like a, a critical character especially early on with this part that we're able to get through this year. So this is what Jesus says earlier than that. Prior to this event, he has this discussion with the disciples about who they say he is. And Peter never struggled with boldness. Peter says, well, you are the Christos or the Christ or the Messiah. You are the living God. And then this is what Jesus says in Matthew 16. I tell you that you are Peter. And this name, if your name is Peter and you're in here right now, this name means rock. I will build my church on this Peter, on this rock, on this failure. I'm going to take the New Testament church, this beautiful expression that is going to change the entire world and build it on this failure. Now that is amazing. The gates of the underworld will not be able to stand against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything that you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything that you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So in this passage that we have today, we see this new apostle must be chosen. And there could be a situation or circumstances at Believer's Church as there is in all these other churches, when new leadership has to be chosen. This is something that we're going to go through over time, as well as when we're sending people out. So this new apostle has to be chosen, and there are two criteria. There are two criteria that Justice or Matthias or anyone else has to meet. And here they are. Number one, this replacement candidate for Judas must be associated with Jesus throughout his ministry. It means that he needed to walk the streets with Jesus. He needed to be able to see, again, because this is just a short period of time. This person had to be seasoned in their faith. This person had to be in a certain place of maturity. This is also very important because if this person knows that Jesus was here, he also had experienced this resurrection of Jesus. So this person has to have an intimate knowledge of the Messiah. Why? Like, why might that be important? Why might they, other than the firsthand experience, this is it right here. Last week, we talked about those kingdom values. And I know that some of you may have not cared about hearing about some of those kingdom values, but I can promise you this. If you're walking with Jesus, and especially if you're walking with Jesus in person, there is a trickle-down effect that is happening to these people so that as they go forward, not just the 12, but all of these people that are following Jesus, they're getting firsthand who he is and who he was whenever he was actually alive on earth. So whenever Peter is walking forward, 
Whenever Bartholomew is walking forward, whenever Thomas is walking forward, it's almost literally as if Jesus is there because that value system, those ethics, the way the poor are treated, forgiving other people, the way that anyone is supposed to be treated, it's there. It's all present. And that's very important. So that's the first qualification. The second one is this. They must also, the passage tells us, be witnesses of the resurrection. They must be witnesses of the resurrection. This means two things. It means literally witness the resurrection so that as they go forward within the same generation of Jesus, they can say, yes, this happened. Well, I know that you don't believe it happened, and I know that it could seem really impossible, but I am telling you myself and a number of other witnesses actually saw this. But more importantly than the literal witness of what they saw, more important than that, they have to be converted. And they have to be living out the crucified and resurrected life. So this is what's going on early. They're up in the upper room, they're praying. They know whenever they come down, they have to find someone to replace Judas. And this is what they say. This person has to be absolutely sold out to Jesus. This person has to understand a complete death to self. This person has to understand that there were things that might have been important in their lives, and these things are no longer important. Everything that they do, this idea of a private faith that some of you have, like I'm this way at work, and then I'm this way at church, or I'm this way around my family, but I'm this way when we fellowship together as a church, non-existent. It doesn't exist. James, the brother of Jesus, actually talks about this a lot when he says a man, a man who is double-minded in all of his ways, who says one thing and does another. There is no double. If you have to change yourself in front of certain people, you have a critical spiritual problem. And it could not exist among the leadership. That's one of the reasons that we have so many problems whenever we, whenever we put people in leadership positions within churches. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. So they have to be literal witnesses. There is no private belief system that has to be there. So early followers of Jesus, they are bold beyond belief. We think about evangelism, and I'm not knocking this because I handed out a zillion of them, but handing out our cards. These individuals, as they're building relationships, okay, it's not this cold call evangelism, knock on a door, you know, um, like to tell you about Jesus, we're in the middle of dinner, okay, well, go to hell, have a good day. It's, it, it's not that, all right? It's this building a relationship, but this relationship does have something in mind, and it's conversion. I'm sorry if that's unpopular. I'm sorry if it feels like we're pushing our views on other people. We believe heaven and hell are real things. And these early believers, they had that, and they understood that. So when you leave church, and you decide what you want to go eat, and you literally like walk past the poor person so you can get to in, into the restaurant quicker than the rest of the church crowd, which is a benefit of a 10 a.m. service, I do have to say. But whenever you're doing this, it's like all of a sudden when we're out of church, we have this tunnel vision on the world. You can't have that in church leadership. It's one way or it's the other way. And this is what's expressed, and this is why the church goes. So think about this. What do we often look for within church leadership? So I want you to, if you've been in church any period of time, what is it that we often look for within church leadership? 
Think about it. Some of you that have been in church long enough, you know, this is what we do first. We look for doers. I believe I could talk her into about anything. I believe I could talk him in to just about anything. We look for doers. You know how else we could say that? We look for people pleasers. We look for control freaks. We look for hard workers. We look for people that are just going to do and do and do. And this is what happens, and this is where we're failing. And this is not the case with Believer's Church, and it's growing more and more and more in the right direction. Listen, for the majority of churches, about 10% of the people do all of the work. And what happens in most cases is that 90% of the body are lost and undernourished, and 10% of the body worships themselves. And there is no Jesus. There is no sharing. There is no acts model of the way that it's supposed to be. What else do we do when we're looking for church leadership? We look for leadership experience. You know, she's a, she's a regional manager at the bank. He's a business executive. He understands these things. Well, that person's been in the church for 39 years. Of course, they would have made a good leader. Listen, Peter would walk in 99.9% of churches today and never be chosen. But you know what Jesus does? Flips the script. And he says, you're broken. You're messed up. Ah, you got a little too much confidence this time. With that walking on the water, be careful when you say, don't just wash my feet, but cover my whole body. Be careful when you say, I'll never deny you. You see, Jesus knew all this brokenness, but he saw something more within. And that's a lot of you. That's a lot of you that are in here right now. As you tell yourself, man, I have really, really messed up. I cannot get out of this, this cycle of horrible thinking. I cannot get out of this place. You know what I would love to see? And we have no record of this. But you know what I would love to see? The transition that happened in Peter's heart between this denial and between where we are right here in Acts 1. I would love to know what those 40 days when Jesus was walking on earth, I mean, Peter became absolutely sold out during that time. And you're going to see more of that as we continue to go forward. We also tend to look for, for the people that are really well put together. And that's a mistake as well. Unlike Jesus, who grabs this cynical fisherman and says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And I'm sure some of the individuals were thinking, well, Jesus, I, I love you. I trust you. You're really good. But this is crazy. Don't give the keys to this guy. He can't even fish. He's a fisherman and he can't even really fish. Don't give the keys to this guy. Have you seen his marriage? Have you seen how much he's struggling? But you know what Jesus sees? Jesus sees potential. And Jesus sees his heart. And that is in this space this morning. That is in this room this morning. Jesus is looking for witnesses of the resurrection People who are willing to completely die to self. That's what Christian leadership is. So this guy, Matthias, is chosen to replace Judas. 
Matthias of all people. If you raise your hand right now and tell me you know a lot about Matthias, I'm going to call you a liar. Because none of us do. If Josephus doesn't know a lot about Matthias, if, if ancient historians don't know a lot about him, you don't know a lot about him, what do we know? He's only mentioned in this chapter, nowhere else in the New Testament. Church history is very vague on who he is. There are multiple mentions of the 12 apostles collectively, but none specifically of Matthias. Was he Zacchaeus? Maybe. Some people believe that. Was he Nathaniel? Could have been. Some, some sources say that. Was he sent to Judea? Could have been. Sent to Turkey? Maybe. The Caspian Sea? We've heard that. Natural death? Doubtful. Martyred? Probably. Like the majority of the disciples. Some other form of death? Very difficult questions to answer. We don't know much about him. But what do we believe Matthias brings to the table as a leader? Beyond those characteristics, what is it? Maybe I can illustrate this with a story. I was born with some kind of natural disposition to want to try to make things around me better and to try to lead things. That is in my DNA, and it's been in my DNA since I could probably hold a rattle. It's just who I am. And there's anybody who's around me knows that. They may have other words for, for what I am, but, but they'll mention something along that. Here's the thing. I, I, just, I just wasn't very good for the majority of my life at, at elevating other people, like of bringing other people up along with me. I just wasn't very good at that, okay? I wanted to kind of do the, the solo path. So some of the best years of my career at the college were 2012 to 2015 when I was over the college's honors program. It was one of the first positions of academic, it was the first position of academic leadership that I'd ever been in. And I had all these ideas for how we were going to be better and how we were going to work. And uh, we had great members on this committee, people, academics that are much, much, much more intelligent than myself. And I would often work on the honors curriculum and the procedures and the policies and all of those things that we did by myself. And then two or three times a year, it would be our task as a committee to get together and talk about what we were doing. So I would lay out everything that we were doing, and then I would ask them for their thoughts. So David Prophet, a philosophy professor, watch those guys, a philosophy professor who ended up becoming a very good friend of mine, he's actually retiring this year, says to me, in front of everybody, it was humiliating. You know, we used to come together and collaborate, and build ideas, and produce ideas together. You just basically come in here and tell us what we're doing in front of everybody. Now, inside, I was saying, I don't want to lead this committee anymore, <laughs> you know. 
But something happened that day, and something transformed within me. And I guess God knew that in the next year or two that I was going to be pastoring the church. Because from that point forward, it was always and has always been about elevating the God-given potential of other people and seeing what other people are able to do and bringing them into the process, recognizing and understanding that a lot of times they have more knowledge about things that I do and that they are going to supplement my weaknesses. And I believe that this is something that Matthias actually brings to the table. It changed me forever. So I want you to hear this because some of you need to. Doing is not leading. Let's say it again because some of you are doers. Doing is not leading. Managing is not leading. If I'm not releasing others to do what I can do, or more importantly, releasing others to do what I can't do, I'm not a leader. In fact, I'm just someone that's creating idols that I can worship around me. And that's the majority of what we see in the church. Is there something that we can carry with us? Is there something that we can see about these early leaders? Because we're talking about leaders. We're not talking about followers right now. Is there something that we can see that they are modeling that we want to carry? Just a couple, three things, three things here. The first one is this. They were willing to die at any moment. They were willing to die. And some of you that are on our church leadership right now, you may be in here and say, whoa, that's intense. I'm not ready to die. Okay, we're not just talking about physical death. All right, they were willing to die physically, and most of them did for the cause of Christ. But they were completely willing to die for self. Listen, I do not care about your resume. I care about your heart. And I care about where people are because I am not worried about impressing anyone but Jesus. And that is the only thing that matters to me. They were completely at any moment willing to die. And the majority of people that fall into like this Mickey Mouse Christianity, I mean, that's really what we have in this country. They are not willing to die to self. Paul is talking, I'm sorry, Jesus is talking... Peter is talking about being witness to the resurrection. He said they must be converted and living out this crucified and resurrected life. Meaning when you understand something is bad for you, you push it away with everything in you. And maybe we need to repent of some of those things today. Jesus says it this way again in Matthew 16. If we go back there, he says this, all who want to come after me, they must say to themselves, uh, say no to themselves. People are not willing to say no to themselves. I'm around people every single day that tell me that they're Christians. It is so abundantly clear that they are unwilling to say no to themselves. They are willing to take up their cross and follow me because this is key and this is what's killing our culture. All who want to save their lives or believe that they're doing things the best possible way for them will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will find them. 
leaders find their life. They find their gifting. They find their purpose. They recognize that they're here for a reason. And as great as parenting is, and I love being a parent, it's bigger than being a mom and dad. As much as I love my job at the college, it's bigger than being a professor. It's bigger than all of these things. But people are not willing to give up their lives so they can find it. Now, this second one is all, this second one's equally as hard. It is equally as hard. This, this is the standard for Christian leadership, okay? So they must be willing to die. But listen at this one. They must be willing to be sent. They've got to be willing to be sent. There are some people who have told me, and I don't blame them. They said, things have been going so well at the church and things are so great. I don't want to think about starting a church where, you know, you go through all this chaos and the setup and the break. I don't blame you. It's a, it's a hard, awful thing, but they are willing to be sent. And you know what you could be saying right now? You could be saying, maybe they're not all willing to be sent, Matt. You seem to be on this multiplication kick. You seem to be on this kick where you're talking about sending all these people out. And I just don't know necessarily that's the way that it's done. Please hear me. Thomas goes to India. Andrew goes to Greece. John goes to Asia. Peter goes to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia. James the Great is believed to be the first one that was martyred. Philip goes to the Greek-speaking people. Matthew preaches in the Mediterranean before, before being uh, martyred in Ethiopia. James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the bishop in Jerusalem and is eventually stoned there. The other Judas, not Judas Iscariot, goes to the Middle East and is eventually martyred in Lebanon. They're sent. And this is my prayer. This is the prayer that one day, it's not within me, just, just someone that, that can't do everything to create, to, to be able to live forever, but to create something or be part of something that will because I believe that I can hear one day, I believe I can hear it this way. Foster went to Greenville. Silas went to Butler. Austin went to Knoxville. Callie went to Richmond. Emma went to Hampton. Levi went to Bluntville. Macy is in our downtown location. Lucy is in Memphis now where Cora and Moses started. Bella is in Cleveland. Sean is in Elizabeth and where they continue to increase in number. Lily is in Nashville, where Delaney was before planting in Houston. Jared started in Lexington, but now he's in Louisville. And on and on and on and on. This is the future of this church. These are our children. These are our kids. And we can teach them American Christianity. Or we can teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the opportunity that we have to pull them away from everything else that is influencing them and to teach them love of God and love of neighbor so that they are moved in ways that you never believe. You're looking at college applications. I hope they turn out okay. Let them be set on fire by the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one ever said, no one ever said, I was born in Bristol, I'll die in Bristol. I thought that'd be funny. I guess the moment was too emotional. <laughs> I was born in Jonesboro. I'll die in Jonesboro. It wasn't even in the vocabulary. Where you send me, I will go. It's this nomadic lifestyle of picking everything up, even if it's a county over. And that's what I've been preaching to you guys for two years. 
and they got it. They understood it. Because it wasn't about collecting in one building for the rest of their lives. This version of Christianity that we have, in which we're tied to one place, we're tied specifically to one group of people, and then we go live our lives however we want to. Please hear my heart. You're living a lie. It's a myth. It's a myth that's been created to keep you comfortable. It's not true. And I don't know, and I could be completely wrong. I don't know if there's anywhere else you're ever going to hear it. So I feel like I have to share it today. The last thing that keeps them together is that they are willing to share their leadership. But Matt, aren't you the lead pastor? Matt, aren't you the senior pastor? They shared their leadership. We see this all over Paul's work. Saul's going to become Paul. We'll get there hopefully this year. And he's going to co-labor with all these brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's how New Testament leadership is done. You see, we're used to this model. Not us specifically, just all, most all churches. Of hiring a pastor and they do everything. They do everything. And it's, their, it's the expectation that they're going to do everything. If that is the expectation that you have of me, fire me today. Because I don't keep the keys, I give the keys away. And some of you know that's true because you work with me every single day of our lives. It's about finding this gifting and finding this calling of other people. There is a way of the New Testament leaders. And that's what we're going to build here. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.